and thank you for joining this week's podcast with the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. In this week's sermon, the Archbishop shares the importance and relevance of being mature in Christ. With believers facing challenges in their families, businesses and communities, the body of Christ needs to advance in wisdom, knowledge and prayer to deepen their spiritual capacity and mature in the things of Christ. Grow in spiritual maturity by joining this year's 100 Days of Global Prayer. Register now at ndwministries.org. Know today that this is God's word of empowerment for you. Be encouraged as you listen. What are the signs of a child? And the difference between a child and a son? And what does a son mean? A son is one that has come of age. A son is one that is mature. A child is one that pays attention to everything they hear and they feel and they see. Children cry over everything, offended over everything, settles calls with everyone that has hurt and offended them. Always talking about the same thing over and over again. But those who have come of age, those who have come of age, have learned to overlook things and to accept that life is what it is. You have to learn to dwell and you have to learn to accommodate the human nature. Somebody said to me, how do you deal with betrayal? How do you deal with betrayal? And I said, betrayal is part of the human nature. And when you realize that betrayal is part of the human nature, you learn to deal with it irrespective of who throws you under the bus. You keep moving on because it is part of the human nature. And it will never stop nor cease until the dust settles and the curtains are brought down and water finds its level. Put your hands together. I'd like to share some thoughts with you about coming of age, growing up, maturity in Christ. One of the signs of a child is selfishness. Children are selfish. Children always hold onto things for themselves. Children don't know how to share. They are always holding onto things. But a sign of maturity is one that is selfless, is one that is willing to share, and is one that understands that what I have is for the benefit of others. Second Corinthians 12, 7, that the manifestations of the gift is given to profit all. Is given to profit all. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that everything we own and we have is for the benefit of others. That is an understanding that one that is of age and one that is mature has. That I understand that giftings, skills, times, and resources is given to me for the benefit of others, that it is never given to me for me. Children always hold on to things and think it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But when you come of age, you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that nothing you own and nothing you have is yours. For we are students and stewards of everything, possessors of nothing. Nobody has anything in this world. The Bible said, what have you? that you do not receive. And why then do you act as if you did not receive it? You are a possessor of nothing but a steward of everything. Everything you own, 
whether it's brilliant, time, resources, giftings, skills, it's not yours. It's given to you to profit others. It is said that no human being is useless who enhances the life of others. No one is useless who adds to the good of others. Everyone in this life has something to offer. And anyone who makes available what they have for the profit and the benefits of others is not useless. You are only useless when it is about you. You are only useless when your time, your resources, your skills, and your giftings, and everything you have is for your own profit and benefit and not the profit and the benefit of others. That makes you useless because ignorance of a purpose results into abuse. Today, I challenge you, whoever you are, hearing the sound of my voice, it's time to grow up and you must look at the, sign of, the signs of maturity. And one of the signs of maturity is selfishness. Whether you are a leader in the church, at the marketplace, on the political scene, you must understand that the sign of maturity is selflessness. And until we have selfless leaders in the church, on the political scene, on the marketplace, Africa and Ghana, as a nation and a people is going nowhere. It is selfless people who appreciate and understand the reason for their being that you have come into the kingdom, like Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time like this, to contribute and to carry out and to deliver and perform a duty for the good and for the benefit of others. Until we have leaders with this kind of understanding that my reason for being what I have, what I own, skill, exposure, intelligence, brilliance, resources that is all given for the good of others, the good of country, the good of posterity, we will never amount to nothing. We need to have that understanding and clarity, irrespective of who we are, where we stand, where we have been, the family we were born into, the kinds of exposure we have, that a day will come when each one of us will give an account of what we did with the time given to us, with the resources and the skills and the opportunity we had in life. We will account for it. Nobody, none of us here, is giving anything for our personal benefit. It is always for the benefit of others. It is always for the benefit of country, it is always for the good of others. And until we have this understanding, we will struggle and we will keep moving year after year, wandering in the wilderness like the children of Israel. The journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan was a journey of 11 years, 11 days. And the journey of 11 days became a journey of 40 years because a generation missed it. A generation did not understand that the journey and the purpose for which they were set free from the captivity of Egypt was not about them, but it was about their children and their children's children. When we miss our reason for being, when we miss why we are here, why we are blessed, when we forget that we are strangers in this world, when we forget that we are stewards and not possessors of anything, we make mistakes and the mistakes we make will cost not just us, but our children and our children's children. But I pray for everyone hearing the sound of my voice that you will live a life that is worth living, a life that impacts others, 
A life that makes a difference in the life of others. A life that enhances posterity. A life that enhances generations yet unborn. That when you leave this world, it shall be said that once upon a time, one like your kind and your type did live, did live. And you made a difference in your world. And you are the reason why the world is a better place than it is today. I said at the first service, if you were born in a village without light, and you dwell in the city of your country, anywhere in Africa, and when you die, your village is still in darkness, still in the same condition you met it when you were born. Whatever progress you made, whatever effort and progress you made, as long as God, heaven, and humanity is concerned, is meaningless. Like Kwame Nkrumah said, the independence of Ghana is meaningless until it is connected to the total freedom and repression of the continent of Africa. Until we have leaders who think beyond where they are and think beyond country and think posterity and think generations yet unborn, we are still going to be disadvantaged with all the minerals we have, with all the riches on this continent. Look at the kinds of riches we have as a people, as a continent, and yet we are disadvantaged. What we lack is leaders and individuals who are selfless with a vision to do something, not just for themselves, but for the good of others and the good of prosperity, posterity. Until, until your life, what you have, what you do, impacts the life of others, enhances the life of others, bring progress to others, benefit others for the good of others day you die you were not born you did not come into this world we are never born to come into this world to live for ourselves each one here under the sound of my voice was born to come into this world ladies and gentlemen for such a time like this to make a difference you were born to be a game changer you were born to fulfill a purpose, to carry out a duty. Mordecai said to Esther, for thou hast come into the kingdom for such a time like this to perform a duty. Each one hearing the sound of my voice, you are not here by chance. You are not here just to leave, make money, and have a good job. But you have come into this world for such a time like this to make a difference that when your time is done and the dust settles, and the curtains are brought down and water finds its level, it shall be known that once upon a time an individual like you did live. And you live not for yourself nor your immediate family, but you live to make a difference in the life of others. That you lived and because of you, posterity, posterity was preserved. Like Joseph said, you betrayed me, you sold me into slavery, you cast me into a pit, but I did not die. I survived in prison. I am still here and I am not bitter. I am not bitter because I am not a child. I am not bitter because I have come to age. I am not bitter. I'm not hurt. I'm not offended because I realize that even though you betrayed me and you threw me under the bus, you are the reason why I'm still alive. You are the reason why I am favored. You are the reason why I'm still here. So I am not bitter. Somebody put your hands together and give him praise. Turn your Bibles with me to Galatians 4, 
and one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant. You see, he said, and heir. You have the right to inherit. That's what it means. You have the right to inherit. You have an inheritance. There is so much in stock for you. But the right to inherit is not given to you because you haven't come of age. And there is so many people in the church and in the political landscape of Africa and the marketplace. There is so much in stock for all of us. But because we haven't come of age and grown up and are still acting at base, the right to inherit is not given to you. The Bible said, I have seen princes walking barefooted on the earth. And I have also seen servants, or I have seen people without capacity and a sense of direction or leadership. And people going nowhere, slaves riding on the back of horses, wise princes are walking barefooted. What is the difference between slaves and princes walking barefooted? Is that you are a prince, but you are a child. You are a prince, but you are amateur. The other day, the Bible said, a young, rich ruler came to Jesus. He was rich. He was a ruler, but he was young. And that was his problem. He was rich, a ruler, but young. Young means amateur. Young means a babe. Young means he hasn't come of age, but he had riches, he was a ruler. And it is dangerous to have power, to have riches, to have rule over others when you haven't matured. It is dangerous. You will abuse and misuse power and riches. For he said an heir, one that has the right to inherit, as long as he's an amateur, even though he has the right to the throne, he's denied rulership. Because it is dangerous to have rule and to have riches and be an amateur. You'll be controlled by the riches, controlled by power, and power does not, under any circumstances, suppose to rule or to govern you, you are to use power for good. And when you don't know the importance of power, and you haven't been groomed, you haven't been raised, and you haven't been educated, about the workings of power and of riches. The power and the riches will control you and destroy you. And that was the reason for this young, rich ruler. Young, rich ruler. Rich ruler, but an amateur. Come with me to Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto, for us, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Understand that children are born, but sons are given. Sons are not born. Sons are developed. Sons are developed. Raised, educated, mentored. Unto us, a child is born, but unto us, a son is given. Jesus kept saying, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. What was he 
referring to? What was the reason why he kept on saying that his time had not yet come? He had exposure. If, if Jesus lived in the days of social media, then he would be trending everywhere and every minute and every moment. And he kept saying, no, 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 no. I am not into social media. I don't want to be trending. I don't need all this publicity. My time has not yet come. Until the age of 30 years, which is believed that the first 30 years are our learning years. And the second 30 years are our achieving years. And the third 30 years are within what we call our legacy years. So for the first 30 years of his life was his learning years. And Jesus understood that he had to understand the Torah. He had to understand his mission. He had to understand the reason of his being. He had to study and understand the scriptures for himself. And at the age of 30 years, when he stepped into the Jordan River and came out of the Jordan River, come with me, please, to the book of Matthew, the third chapter, the 16 and the 17 verse. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, you see, you can be a son and not be mature. It is not sonship that determines maturity. It is maturity that determines sonship. And at this particular time, if you study scriptures carefully, you realize that David became king over Israel at the age of 30 years. Joseph became prime minister in Egypt at the age of 30 years. And you, you see people like Daniel and the three Hebrew young men became leaders, came on the political scene at the age of 30. There is something, ladies and gentlemen, about the number and the age 30. At this time of Jesus' life, he was 30. He had come of age. He was a son. He was mature, and the voice of the father echoed from the corridors of eternity into time and said, this is my mature son. When he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what he means is this is my mature son. Jesus had come of age. He was at the place where God can entrust power, can entrust glory, can entrust riches, can entrust his mandate to his hand. He said, my son have come of age and this day have I begotten him. Until we become mature, until we come to the place of maturity, we may have right to everything and yet we can be disadvantaged and we can be limited because we are not yet mature to be entrusted with everything for which we were born and for which we came into this world. Put your hands together and give him praise for that. The reason for which he kept saying, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, was not because the Holy Ghost hadn't been given. It was because he wasn't ready to receive the Holy Spirit. He wasn't mature. He hadn't come of age to understand and to appreciate the reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples before he left, he said, tarry ye at Jerusalem. You have seen me walk the sea of Galilee. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me perform signs, wonders and miracles. But he said, that is still not enough. You need the person of the Holy Spirit. So tarry 
until he comes. What was he referring to? He was talking to them about being mature. Come of age. Come of age. Come of age. Come to the place of maturity where you are ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Because without him, you can't function. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come when he comes. But you cannot receive him until you come to the place of maturity. Come with me to 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Jesus said the other day, he said, He that have seen me have seen the Father. He that have seen me have seen the Father. So what does it mean to be a son of God? What admit? What does it mean to be of age or to come of age or to mature? When you come of age and you become a true son of God, you become the express image of his glory, the express image of God's power, of his personality, of who he is. When men and women see you, they see Jesus. In the days of the early church, the Bible said, when they saw the believers of those days, they realized that they have been with Jesus. They didn't have to say anything. They saw them and they learned that these men have been with Jesus. So when you become a son and not a child, you look like your dad. You speak like your dad. You act like your dad. And you are just like your dad. And your dad is loving. Your dad is kind. Your dad is forgiving. Your dad is selfless. Your dad is good. Are you like your dad? Do you resemble him? Do you show forth his love, his compassion, his forgiveness, his kindness? Or you are a child that grumble, complain over everything, cries over everything, throw tongues all around the place, always repeating what was done wrong to you. Your dad is not like that. That is how children are. But those who are mature and have come of age, they act like their heavenly father. They act like Jesus because they've come of age. They are not selfish. They are selfless. God is not selfish. God is selfless. And until we have selfless leaders in the church, on the political scene and at the marketplace, we'll continue to struggle. We'll struggle because when people put in position of leadership, whether in the church, at the marketplace, on the political scene, are selfish, self-centered, think about themselves, there will never be progress for the benefit of others. It will always be about individuals. It will always be about one or two. But we need to come to a place in our lifetime, ladies and gentlemen, Whoever you are, wherever you sit, wherever you stand, whatever you do, whatever your background is, you must understand and realize that your reason for being is for the benefit of others. That you are a steward. You are a steward. You are never made to be independent. You were never raised by God to do your own thing. It's not about you making wealth. Let me show you a very interesting scripture. Come with me to Ephesians 4. 
and verse 28. I learned this scripture many years ago and it helped me to change my whole mentality about life. And this was like 30 years ago. I learned this scripture. Ephesians 8, 24. Look at it. It's very strange. Let him that stole still no more. Uh -huh. But rather let him labor, working with his hands. Now, 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 wait there, wait there, wait there. Look at, look at the things he said. But rather let him what? Labor. Now, women that have had kids understand what it means to labor. Labor is no joke. I've been to the labor world a few times. I didn't want to. But I was forced to be there. So I did. Because I was summoned to come there. And I didn't want to, but I had to. Labor is no joke. And the Bible said, let him labor. That means you sweat. You work so hard in order to have money. Go ahead. Let him labor, labor working and working with his hands the thing which is good. Working with his hand the thing which is good. What is good? Money is good. Money is not evil. What you do with money is what determines what money becomes. So money is good or evil by who uses it and what is useful. So money is good. And listen to what he says. That he may have to give to him that needeth. So look at the reason for which all of us work. The reason why you are working and making money is not for you to pay your bills. The reason why you work to make money is never about you or your immediate family. This is what it is. From God's perspective, God said, I want you to labor and I want you to work hard that you may have money not to pay your bills, but to give to the one that has need of it. That means your energy, your life, your skill, and everything you have is not for your benefit, it's for the benefit of others. And until you understand that, until you have that understanding and awareness, you were never born, you never came into this world, you never existed. Because this is God's demand and expectation of all of us. Work, labor like a woman goes to the labor world that you may have not to pay your bills or to send your children to the best of school, which is all good. But God said the main reason why I want you to labor and work with your hand and have that you may give to him that have need of. Hear me, until we get this understanding, we are joking. Until this realization hits you and I, we are playing and joking because this is God's expectations of every one of us. Laboring, working with our hands to have, not to pay our bills. As much as paying our bills and our taxes is mandatory, yet God said, if you want to walk with me and you want me to bless you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you skill, I'm going to give you favor so that you may have for the benefits of others. That is all it means. When he said to give to him that has need means I'll bless you, I'll favor you, 
I will give you skills. I will give you health for the benefit of others. Tell somebody, for the benefit of others. That is low energy. Say it again. For the benefit of others. One more time. For the benefit of That's all it means. Until you get this revelation that is about the benefits of others, you were not born and you didn't come into this world. That scripture changed my life 30 years ago. It did. It changed my perspective about life. And I realized then that the reason for my being, I was talking to Pastor Isud this morning, and he said, Papa, are you doing first and second service? And I said, yes. He said, you mean all these years, after 46 years, you're still doing first and second service? And I said, yes. I'm doing first and second service because God gives me the energy and the ability to do it. The energy. As long as he gives me the energy and the strength, I will continue to do first and second service. And, and I have a third service at five o'clock. And I'm not tired because he gives me the energy. Why does he give me the energy? So I'll walk around and show how strong I am. No, he gives me the energy and the strength for the benefit of others. And until we understand that, we'll be limited. Until we understand that, we'll be restricted. But when you get to a place in your work with God and in life, and you realize that the reason for your being is about the benefit of others. My longevity is not determined by me just wanting to live long, but my longevity is connected to the fact that I have to be here and I have to last for the benefit of others. When you have that understanding, you will always be different from others. You will always be different from others. Sometimes I ask people, why do you want to prosper? Why do you want money? Why do you want to live long? And they don't know. They don't know why they want money. They don't know why they want to prosper. They don't know why they want to live long. Many years ago, a friend of mine came to visit me, about 30 years ago. And he lived with me. And we were by my pool where I lived. We were having coffee. And he said, Nick, I realize that you need money. I want to help you. Then he said, if I give you $1 million to pay me back in two years without returns, two years, $1 million, I'll give it to you. And you pay me back in two years and I'm not charging anything on the million dollars. What will you do with it? I said, give me some time to think about it. You know what he said? He said, I'm not giving you my million dollars. And I said, why? He said, if you are thinking about what to do with my million dollars, if you are going to think about it and you don't know what to do with it, 
then you don't deserve it. So I'll give you $100,000 as a gift, but I will not give you my million dollars. From that day, I realized that I have to plan. And I must know what to do with a million dollars before a million dollars comes to me. So you know what I realized? The reason why you are not attracting a million dollars is because you don't have a plan of what to do with a million dollars. The problem is not the provision, the problem is a lack of vision. Because where there is vision, there will be provision. It is vision that attracts provision. Say, I hear you. Now, if you like, try me right now with $10 million. I have a plan for the use of $10 million right now. Just try me and see, I'll give you a plan for it. Hallelujah. So you need what you attract has everything to do with what you've planned for. If you haven't planned for it, you don't deserve it. Where there is plan and there is vision and chance is added to it, everything is possible. Say, I hear you. It's time to come of age. It's time to grow up and it's time to be mature. Jesus was matured. And at that point, God could trust him with the Holy Spirit. Come with me to the book of Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You see, look at it. He didn't say, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He didn't say children. He says sons. Children are moved by wings of doctrines. Children are everywhere. Children are impressed by what they hear, by what they see. A child hears that their neighbor has built a swimming pool in their sitting room and they want to go and they want to move to their neighbor's house because they have a swimming pool in their room, in their home. That is a child. I was telling them at the first service that I'm not impressed by too many things anymore. And you know why I'm not impressed? I've seen a lot and I've come to the conclusion, like Paul said, nothing moves me anymore. Nothing moves me. Things don't just impress me. I'm not just impressed by what I see. It's difficult to impress me. Very, very difficult to impress me. I've seen some things. I've been some places and I could see that the people were trying, they just wanted me to say something. You know, after showing me things, they wanted my view and they wanted me to praise them and to celebrate them and I didn't say anything. I just kept quiet. And I could see that they were doing everything to get my attention, for me to say something, to praise them to celebrate them, and I didn't say anything. I just kept quiet. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. The praises of men will take you nowhere. It's the praises of God that matters. Because the same people who say, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the son of David are the same people who will say, crucify him, crucify him. I have seen people praise me. 
and I've seen the same people crucify me. So I've come to a place, if you praise me, it is good. If you criticize me, it is good. Because your praises and your criticism don't make me who I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give God praise. And if you are one who depends on the praises of men, you won't go anywhere in life. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. Mm -hmm. I understood as a child. Mm -hmm. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You see, so when he said a man, that was when he became a, a son, mature. An interesting thing he said, I, I spoke like a child. Understood. I understood like a child. Thought as a child. And I thought as a child. Three things. Think like a child. Understand like a child. Talk like a child. But he said, when I came of age, when I became of age, when I came to the place of maturity, my thinking was different. My understanding was different. My speech and utterances was of one that has come of age and of one that is mature and not a child. When you come of age, you think differently. You understand differently. You speak differently because you've come of age. You don't act like a child. You don't pay attention to things that kids pay attention to because you've come of age. When you are mature, you overlook a lot of things. One of my bishops was saying, Papa, Papa, what are you going to do about this person? And I said, nothing. He said, nothing. I said, yes, 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 nothing. And he said, why? I said, I have learned the principle. Give a man a long rope and they'll hang themselves. So i rather wait for you to hang yourself than for me to hang you. I don't want to hang anybody. I don't want to hang anybody because I have children and I have grandchildren. So I don't kill and I don't share anybody's blood. I leave you to hang yourself. It's just a matter of time. What I need is the grace and the patience to wait for you to hang yourself. It's simple. Tell somebody, I'm not going to hang you. Tell them, I will not hang you. I will wait for you to hang yourself. Amen. Amen. But when I was young and I wasn't of age, I thought differently. When you do me, I'm going to find ways to do you. And that is what is happening on our political scenes. And that was what I told that president in one of the West African countries. I said, Mr. President, this man is not your enemy. He's of a different party. He's very successful, but he doesn't belong to your party but he's a citizen of your country and you cannot kill him. You can't destroy his business because if you destroy him, you are destroying the chances of another citizen of this country. And I said, he can be a friend or an enemy. And he said, what are you saying, Archbishop? I said, engage him, invite him to your office. Give him an invitation, have tea and coffee with him. Find out what he can do to help your government and to help this country. 
Because if you destroy him, you've destroyed a lot of families who depend on him to feed their family. And when we are destroying people in our country and in Africa, we don't think about their dependence. We just don't like the person, we must destroy and bring the person down. But every citizen we bring down, you must remember that it's not just that citizen alone. All the individuals of the same country, men and women, who depend on that citizen are destroyed when we destroy one. And we can't keep destroying ourselves. Are you clapping? I have bishops who belong to different political parties. Some of them don't know I know their party. Because they don't tell me. They know mine. Mine is very clear. You all know I'm CPP. Even though we don't win. But one day we might win. Who knows? Hmm? I was talking to one of our people <coughs> after the first. I said, Wafa, when are we going? When will CPP win election? But some of my bishops, they don't belong to CPP. Some of them are MPP. Some of them are NDC. And they don't know I know, but I know. Tell somebody, Papa knows some things. Papa knows some things. But the fact that they belong to those parties doesn't matter to me. It's their choice. It's their choice. And I respect their choice. I may disagree with them, but it is what it is. And in this church, all of you belong to a political party. Some of you, you are more loyal to your party than God. You are more loyal to your party than your church, which is very wrong. Your loyalty is God first and then second country. Amen? So it's, it, it is important for you to appreciate and to realize that when you come of age and you become a man, you think differently, you act differently. Let me show you some scriptures and I'll stop and continue on Wednesday. I realize that Sundays we don't have too much time to dissect and break the word. So what I preach on Sunday, I will try not to finish and I'll continue on Wednesday. So this Wednesday, I'll continue my message. Uh, Bishop Obodai will not do it. I'll do it for myself. Okay, so you can come on Wednesday. You can count on that. I'll be there myself. Amen. Oh, you are not happy about that. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, mm -hmm. saith God. Yeah. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then look at, look, look at, watch the, watch the category. Watch the order. Go ahead. And your sons and your daughters shall... First in sons and daughters, those who have come of age, the mature will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Yes, sir. And your old men shall dream dreams. Uh-huh. Now, come with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, 16 and 17. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child. You see, watch it. He said, woe unto you, O land, when your king is a child. What does it mean? When your leader is a child. So let's look at, you see, you can be, you can be a grown-up and still be a child. You can be a child. Because we had... The young, rich ruler. Young, 
but rich and he was a ruler. So you can be a ruler and be a child. And look at the category. Watch it very carefully. This is very warring. He said, Woe are you, O land, when your king is a child. Go ahead. And your princes eat in the morning. Your princes, those in authority, they eat in the morning. What does it mean? It means that quick fix. Quick fix. These are not leaders who care about country or posterity. They care about them stomach, themselves. It's in the church. It's at the marketplace. It's, at the, it's on the political scene. You can't just blame people in politics. It's everywhere. It's a society thing. It's a sickness. It's a pandemic in our society. Whether it's church, whether it's politics, whether it's a, whether at the marketplace, as long as we have children, kings, grown-ups, but they haven't grown. They haven't matured. Kids, babies, leading either in the church or the political scene or the marketplace, we are in trouble. Go ahead, listen. Blessed art thou, O land, when your king is a son of nobles. You see? You see the difference? He talks about children or a child. Then now he talks about a son of a noble. Look at the difference. Look at the dynamics here. And your princes eat in Whoa. due season. Woe are you when your king is a child. Now, take your time when you go home after lunch. Look at the attributes of a child. And look at that of a son. And the word son means one that has come of age. One that is not petty. One that is not vindictive. One that doesn't set his call with others. One that does not use power and the resources of state to destroy others. One that is selfless. One that has a vision for the good of country, citizens, people, posterity. Look at the dynamics and you will see that we have many leaders across Africa, in the church, at the marketplace, who are children and also have leaders who are sons. Go ahead. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is a son of nobles. A son of a noble. Uh -huh. And your princes eat in due season. Princes here stands for the ministers of states. Those who occupy strategic position in the country. He said they eat what? In due season. They eat in due season. That means these are leaders who are visionaries. Selfless, visionary leaders. They eat in due season. They are not grabbers. They don't just grab, and I'm talking about the church, the political scene, and the marketplace. Leaders, princes, who eat in good season. For strength and not for drunkenness. For strength. The word drunkenness means not for pleasure. Not to travel to Dubai and have fun. Buying houses outside, investing wealth of country for the good of citizens in other places, for pleasure, for self-gratification. But princes who eat in good season or in due season. I have a dream that I will see come to pass in my lifetime. Leaders who are visionary leaders, selfless leaders in my lifetime. 
by the grace of Almighty God, who will eat in due season, who will love God and country, and who will fight to enhance the progress and prosperity of the citizens of our country and for the good of posterity. Please stand. The people in Israel and in the Middle East understand what peace means and what war is. Ghana, we've never seen war before like other countries. And so it's difficult to appreciate when we talk about praying for the peace of Ghana or the peace of others, we take it for granted. But if you've seen war like Israel and like those who dwell at the Middle East and other African countries like Liberia, Sierra Leone and other places, when we say pray for peace, you will pray with everything inside of you. I pray that some way, somehow, in our lifetime and in the time of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, that they will never see war. You didn't hear what I said. Because war is not a good thing. And the people of Israel and the Middle East understands war than anybody else. Because they fought battles that doesn't make sense. May God grant the people of Israel and the people of the Middle East great comfort for all the losses they've suffered. And may peace reign within the walls of Israel and across the length and the breadth of the land of the Middle East. In the name of the Lord Jesus, will you lift up prayer for the people of Israel and the Middle East that peace will reign, comfort will come, grief will cease. In the name of Jesus, that this wickedness will not continue any further. Let this wickedness be discontinued in the name of Jesus across the length and the breadth of the land of Israel and even across the Middle East. Lift up prayer right now. Pray that this evil will not continue any further. In the name of Jesus, lift up prayer right now. In the name of Jesus, this hatred will not continue any further. Pray for the protection of the Jews all across the nation. Pray for the protection of the synagogues of the Jews in Ghana, across the Middle East, Africa, North America, in the name of Jesus, across Europe, pray for the protection of the Jews and the synagogues in the name of Jesus. Hear me. I want us to pray that this evil will not proceed any further, that it will end here. Pray for the protection of the Jews and the synagogues and churches all across the nations, from Africa to the Middle East, Asia to North America to Europe and all across the nations of the world. Let this evil and hatred proceed no further. Let it come to an end. Some way, somehow, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Put your hands up. Pray that prayer right now.
we lift up prayer for every synagogue for every church for the nations for the Jewish people for the peace of the Middle East that this hatred and evil will not proceed any further pray for the peace of Jerusalem they shall prosper that love thee Lord we lift up prayer for your people for every synagogue for every church and even for every mocks that these evil and these perpetrators of evil shall not triumph prosper go forward or advance any further in the name of Jesus let evil come to an end let God arise let his enemies be scattered in the name of Jesus now hear me what happened in Israel was a surprise attack 9-11 was a surprise attack any surprise attack in the womb of time that is yet to manifest that we have no idea of in Africa, the Middle East, Europe, Asia, North America. Let it be intercepted. Let it be aborted. Let it be uncovered. Put your hands together. Intercept. Surprise attacks in the womb of time where the people of God are concerned, where Jews are concerned, where synagogues are concerned where the mocks, where mocks are concerned, where there are gatherings of God's children and God's people, where churches are concerned, in Africa, Europe, North America, Asia, the Middle East, any surprise attack, let it be intercepted and aborted right now. Open your mouth, put your hands down, attack, intercept, over time, let it boomerang, 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 boomerang. We know you are blessed by that word of God and look forward to you joining the messages of the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams again. For more information on our events, books and messages, please visit NDW Ministries online at www.ndwministries.org or call our offices on plus one eight seven seven three six one five one one one. Once again, thank you for joining the Archbishop today and may you continue to experience the life transforming power of God's blessings.